Are you all ready for a spicy podcast? <laughs> all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh no, I, I just I just lost Andrew. I'm sorry. I liked your pun. <laughs> I don't even know if it's really a pun. It's just I just wanted to start things off kind of silly. Because this movie isn't that silly, no. and that's no, why. It's not silly at all. <laughs> no, it's it's quite good too. <laughs> no, but but, but we'll, we'll get, get into, into that. that. In Welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. We've been away for a little bit. Uh, thank you for listening in to us. Uh, I am, as always, Jack, and with me tonight is Trash Panda Corey. And oh, I forgot you had a new nickname. <laughs> and really happy to have him back, Andrew. Hey, everybody. Hey, so yeah, as uh, the opening might have given you a hint of, uh, we just came back from Dune. Dune. There are so many ways you could say Dune, but only so many ways that sand is sand. I don't like sand. (laughs) It's very coarse. We're going to talk a lot about... (laughs) I think we're going to talk a lot about Star Wars during this. Uh, You can't not. But, uh, what, I Do you think that... that where do we start? Do you think that Anik, that was like a, a, an in-joke by George Lucas about Dune? No. I think it was just... <laughs> bad pizza It's writing. just bad writing. <laughs> um, so where do we start? No, by I the mean, way, this is Dune Part 1, uh, the new uh, adaptation by uh, Denis Villeneuve. I did not find out until last night that they were only covering the first half of the book. Oh, you didn't realize that? No, uh, like because I didn't look... I'm not a person who reads movie news. I basically watch trailers and I wait for the movies to come out. Right. That's not like I have a podcast or anything. But, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, you know, I, I have a, I have a wait and see attitude about movies. And I read a thing where it's just like, oh, they're only doing the first half of the book. What a strange choice. Oh, yeah. But I think it was the right choice. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um. The interesting thing, by the way, before we talk more about this, is that we, not, I don't know if we necessarily planned it this way, but we're all coming at this in interesting different ways, because I have, with, with the book, the Frank Herbert uh, book, Dune, I have, this is one of these books I've tried to start reading and just <laughs> would kind of put down, and then, then like a couple years later, be like, all right, I'm going to try this again. And then I would read try read the same pages again and then stop and then go back probably three different times in my life. I've tried to either read or even listen to the audiobook of Dune and Nobody knows the first <coughs> chapter of Dune better than Jack. I nobody knows better that sensation of putting your hand into <laughs> a book that just gives you pain. <laughs> But I've, you now, are you are like Paul in this movie. Every time yeah. you, every time you open up Dune and put your hand into it, you pull it out. <laughs> you, you fail every time. I know. And then like you know, it doesn't matter that like the little needle is at my neck. I just stop and I'm like uh, screw it. But I now I say that, but I have seen the David Lynch film, um, and so I have seen that. You have read the book. I just finished reading the book. I have not seen David Lynch's You've movie. just read the book, and boy, are your eyes tired. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good read. Yeah, and, uh, and but you, you have know, not seen I'm the film. I'm glad I did, yeah. Corey is coming to this completely fresh, not knowing a lick about the book, not knowing a lick about the, the David Lynch movie. 
I didn't even know the basic plot of the story. I, which is so you surprising. You are basically the normal person in the room. The vast majority of moviegoers will neither have seen uh, David Lynch's Dune nor have read the book. Or well, you or you might have some people coming to this maybe like our, maybe from our parents' generation or nope. around that age. But nope. <laughs> no, Old but people do not watch movies, Jack. Uh, actually, they probably watch movies nope. more than nope. <laughs> younger people. Nope. Hey, <laughs> I was going to try and make my point. <laughs> but no, but this was a very, like, kind of, this was a very big cult book with, like, uh, you know, boom, boomer generation, I think. And that was, you know, more of, like, almost in the vein of, like, wow, you're going to read this, man. It's going to blow your mind. Mm. Take a hit of this, too. You know, and, like, um... But yeah, so I, I well, just to talk about the movie now. Uh, Why don't we start by giving our brief impressions? Here, okay, I'll <laughs> take it from here. Oh, Thank brief you. impressions? Oh, I thought you were going to say synopsis. Never mind. No, yeah. I, I think <laughs> say, How do you synopsis? Our brief impressions of what we think of the movie. Yeah, okay, and okay. I will start. All right. Um, Normal as, person, Corey. Yes, as <laughs> the person who came in with no familiarity with the book. Never seen the movie. Didn't even, like, know anything about the, the story. The only thing was, you're like, this trailer's awesome. I did like the trailer a lot. Like, every time <laughs> we saw the trailer, trailer, I was like, this trailer's awesome. All right. Here's my take on the movie. I like it. I think it's a good movie. Not great. I'd probably give it, like, three and a half stars out of five on the plus side. I know. I'm <laughs> sorry. <and> your stars. <laughs> We're on the plus side, <clears throat> the movie looked spectacular. Mm. It, like, everything you heard about how this movie looks is 100% accurate. The characters, I don't think they're super deep or complex, but they're embodied by very charismatic actors. So even though I don't think they're super deep, um, they're pretty entertaining. So characters, good acting, I would say. Like, very, like, strong acting. The vibes are good. Um, I really liked the world building in the first half of the movie. And then my critiques of the movie, I think the third act, like, really drags. And there's, let's just say, a change of venue in the third act that I wasn't as into. And I don't think this counts as a spoiler, but... The Emperor himself not being a character in the movie was kind of a problem for me narratively. Hmm. For reasons that we'll discuss when we like get into the nitty-gritty of the plot. So yeah. that's my... I would definitely give this a thumbs up and recommend it, but I do think it is overly long and the Emperor should okay. have been in okay. the movie. All right. Well, to follow up on that, and I think you make some interesting points there, I... As coming from it, from, you know, again, I'm maybe more looking at it in, like, the sort of uh, cinematic side of things. And, you know, not just looking at, trying to compare it to what I remember from the David Lynch movie, which it's it's been like, but it's, well, it's been like, well, the thing is, it's been like 15 years. So there are some things I remember very well from the movie and other things that, I mean, I can, I'll get into maybe comparing this to the Lynch one in a minute that I don't. Um, but I also uh, like this movie. Uh, at times, I liked it quite a bit. Um, 
as and also I, I should say as a movie, like it's just very tactile in of so many in so many little moments and How scenes. Like the, just the way that the, that they show certain things and like settings and just sometimes like the, there's like one point in a scene where a character is inside of like this black tar tub or something like I'm not going to say why the character's in it but you're just the space way that reasons. <laughs> space <laughs> reasons um this is space tar yeah this is space it's tar space sickness <laughs> i know exactly what but you mean the way that it's shot it's like you can it's like the it's like the best bath i've ever seen yeah, <laughs> like the, the best black tar bath just how it it's very it, it seems like a lot of thought went into just like that shot or showing that and like that's the kind of sense i get like the people who made this they really wanted to make the scale of arrakis and uh, everything that we're seeing in it really matter and which is impressive because a lot of this you know you could sense like oh these are visual effects these aren't actual things there but a lot of it felt like oh, this is actually there. Like, this ship is really moving around and, you know, doing these special things. And this ship is moving around like a dragonfly, mm. which is, like, a really simple but effective touch. And things like that made this a very impressive viewing. If I had... The problem, though, comes with... I almost, I can't help but look at other kinds of big fantasy sci-fi type epics i can't help it because in in some part because dune is like where a lot of other epics have kind of come from again this is from like the mid 60s um but it was both drawing on so much mythology as well as inspiring a lot of other mythology um and it's like i wish it i know and i know it's it the book is what it was but it if there could have been just a little bit more humor somewhere, or I don't know if humor's the word, or warmth. And it's here in a couple of places, but I think that's why, like, something like Lord of the Rings, I think is still a little bit more impressive, because it managed to have this big epic scope and all this detail, but still find a Lord of the Rings bit more man uh, manages to maintain a certain lightheartedness. And throughout it, the well, films. while it's uh, but while it's still dealing with a lot of heavy dark material, yeah, this is heavy dark and does it well, but it's just that, right? So I'm sorry, I know I've been talking a while. It's so that was Jack's briefing. <laughs> I can't help it. We're like giving debriefings in this review. Part, uh, <laughs> we're we're, we're like is, we're like uh, each one of us is like a planet we have to visit to <laughs> unload the exposition of this. Part of what's tough for me is after I, I just finished the book on Monday, uh, and uh, I gotta say this was extremely faithful to the book. I was. It's like I don't doubt it. Like there are maybe one or two scenes that are added to you know sort of like to keep the plot moving and everything, but like most of what's different is stuff cut out, where it's just like they've taken out certain scenes and put in other things. They've probably chosen. I would say they've probably chosen the best scenes to cut out, and they've kept the most important <coughs> stuff. I mean, there are some scenes in here that are that are accurate down to the line. 
Oh yeah, and, yeah, and and well, that's the thing though. It's interesting to me coming from. I, I'm not finished. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So what I so the the weird thing about this, if you like Dune the book, you're gonna like Dune this movie. Yeah. Because this is almost like the most faithful adaptation of a book I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and and I and I really mean that in just like there is there is little deviation from what came before. And so it's like, and now it's just like, I, I really, I like the story of Doom. I find it fascinating. And, and it's just like, well, is that me really just liking the story of Doom or is it me liking this movie? Like, I've got to see this movie again to really make up my mind to just kind of like take the movie as it is. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for a movie that's based off of this epic sci-fi book where it's just like, where people have tried and tried to to, to adapt mm-hmm. it all the time, it's just like this is this is fantastic. Yes, yeah. because of how faithful they were able to be and just how gorgeous they were able to make it look and how much it actually really works. Yeah, and also too how much they were able to get like a cast to, as Corey said, like the cast I think really helps to elevate this to a certain level too. Yeah. You have like. You know, so many people who, you know, you already know, like Oscar Isaac and Josh Brolin, uh, Timothy Chalamet is uh, the lead, Paul Trades. Uh, also, some people that maybe you might not know as well, but you've seen them, like Rebecca Ferguson is uh, the mother. The, the one that um, caught my, my attention was Zendaya. Where she, yeah. like, you know, you know her from Sp- the Spider-Man movies and she's just kind of like, you know... Uh, very good comedic timing, you know, sort of like young, young woman d- doesn't uh, doesn't really care about much. But in this one, she like she plays uh, Chani. Is that her name? I didn't Chani, even. Yeah. I didn't they even mentioned it name. once, maybe in the entire thing. Uh, all I it's... knew was she's like special. Uh, um, is were the name of the Fremen? Yes. Yeah, she's special Fremen lady. <laughs> yeah, but like you see her on on like you see her in these big vistas and everything, and and she, and she in that scene looks just gorgeous, and she still pulls off this this whole thing of being this mm-hmm. badass woman warrior, and even though she doesn't do much, it's like she yeah. she's like for some reason she is important to the story of Dune, and most of this film spends its time foreshadowing her mm-hmm. because her relationship to Paul is important in the story. And so, and so much of this, so much of the, so many of the distinct shots in this film are of her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she has a great look uh, for that character. I mean, she's very, you know, mysterious and alluring. I mean, yeah. I think the, the, the one thing though with her is that she, but not in a sexualized way. No, 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 no. no. It's very much like, Hmm, I want to know more about what's what's her deal. The only problem is, though, by the time we're ready to get to know her, the movie's over. Sure. And so that might... I know that, okay, you could say, well, wait till the next movie. Looking at just in this movie itself, she doesn't have a lot to do. No. Well, not... Well, I, I kind of disagree about with that. It's like... Well, she has a lot to... Well, in the sense of what she's inspiring in Paul. Or, or kind of guide... He he has this sense of uh, there's something about this woman that is you know I I know this is very important throughout this movie Paul is looking into the future that's when when there are all these different cutaways and all these vision scenes mm-hmm. Paul is looking into the future and he sees 
and he sees Chani as someone he is going to meet in the future, but if he but he's not certain how he'll get there or if he'll get there. Right. Because there are several times in this movie where it seems that Paul is in danger. Yeah. And so I guess not really his arc, but like the sort of sense that he's completed a journey is more or less fulfilling this vision that he has. Where it's just like right. I am going or I have to, or I am supposed to, or I will be forced to meet this woman on Arrakis. Mm -hmm. And there are several times during which, during that journey that I may die. Right. (laughs) And he's just got to, and he's just got to push ahead to get to that point. And that's basically how you know the movie is over. Yeah. No, no, I get that. I'm just saying though, once she was really there in the movie, like when he, sees her in among the Fremen. It's like, you know, he has a good moment with her and she, you know, is is good in, in the scene, but the scene then moves on to being about something else. Sure. I'm, I'm sorry, you want to... Yeah, I think... I don't think she... I think she's important to Paul in this movie, but she's not important independent of him. I assume no. that will be coming in part two. I, I, Jack has but a certain I, point where it's just like, well, she's barely a character in this. She has some good. She has good lines and she has good interaction, but like she, that's a very small part of what she has to do. I mean, she's not going to become an important character until part two, which Wait, hopefully she, will yeah. come out. She just has to be kind of striking to yes, that's, the that's it. She's striking, and what helps too is good job, regular person. <laughs> <laughs> All of these actors have instant gravitas oh yeah because as jack mentioned this is a very i would call this a very severe movie the characters (laughs) are very kind of stately in their interactions with each other it's like it's kind of like royal decorum on steroids in a lot of the scenes and the characters even the nobles are living it seems to me like a pretty harsh life like we only have one portrayal of like a decadent noble everyone else even though they are nobility Mm -hmm. and we know that they're rich and powerful still seem to be living a pretty harsh life so this is a very severe movie and it's necessary for the actors to be able to immune to immediately communicate this sense of like import Without that, that, being that they've seen that they've seen some things like I, you know yeah. like Javier Bardem is I think a great example of that. Another person who has basically two scenes in this film, two scenes, and yet you know he's such a you know phenomenal actor that he immediately you know what you kind of know what his story is without him needing to even say too much. Sure, and that's like. You know, he just shows up and like it's although, like. Although, uh, as you said before, you know, there's not a lot of depth to to these characters. I mean, these aren't the deepest characters, and I'm, I don't mean that in a bad. Like you, you said, they don't seem very deep. They they have a lot of like there's a lot of metaphorical important. I mean, because the thing is, we're kind of dancing around this. I mean, George Lucas has lifted so like. So much from Dune. Hold on, I, I want to. You have, <laughs> you but, but, have but a my, good point, and I want to talk about that later. But but my point is with that is that you could look at just to but to make that a comparison in Star Wars. A lot of the characters in that aren't necessarily that deep, but the actors that they have in in those movies, the performances in, in, have nuance. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just that, you know, it's just that there isn't a great range of things that all these characters have to do. No. I mean, Corey's right. Everything is quite severe. I think that's basically comes down to what the plot is about. Where yeah, it's which like, is very much about, like, political machinations and, yeah. like, you know, ro- you know, what's your destiny and, and all these kinds of things. I, I think this is why the movie was made. I think the success of Game of Thrones really made this movie yeah. possible. That's another That's thing, too. That's a good comparison. Where, where it's just like, you know, being a noble is not fun. Because once you slack off, people knife you in the back. And this is about just basically that whole knifing in the back. Like, the plot just basically is just like, there are two noble houses. There's House Atreides, led by Oscar Isaac. And then there's... Har- and then there are the Harkonnens... Led by Baron Harkonnen, who is uh, played by Stellan Skarsgård, uh, who I, I always who I love looking at in this film. Oh yeah, he he's he's great to look at, even when he's like even when he is yeah. at his most. And, I, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna come back to him in a little bit, comparing to the Lynch film, but but keep going. So and and they are basically rivals. The Harkonnens are kicked out of Dune, and they are replaced by Atreides, but it's all a ploy. Where it's like the emperor is planning to use, is planning to sabotage the Atreides so that the Harkonnens can destroy them, and the Atreides know this. They know exactly what's going to happen. They are trying their best to keep it from happening, and even if they lose in the first round, they will hopefully come back again and just turn the tables. And but and everybody knows that they are at the disadvantage, and it's just like there's not a lot of room, like there's not a lot of room for lightheartedness in that where it's just like everybody uh, can see and you know and i, I what get, they're up against and i get that i i think when i made that note about it not you know like something like lord of the rings having a little bit more maybe the word i'm looking for is range is because just the story allows for a lot more kinds of personalities whereas yes, in dune that's true yeah the as the severity is you know the the stakes are so high you you know all you have really time for is uh you know why don't you smile a little I am smiling. Josh yeah. Brolin has has a few humorous moments. No, he does. He uh, does. Jason Momoa, Jason has, Momoa a few, has a few. He has a lot of charisma, like sure. like that. I really liked, by the way. Um, no, so I get that. It's maybe I'm just you want. Ma- yeah, it makes sense. Ma- you wanted characters to demonstrate a greater emotional range. Yeah, it, it's it. Maybe it's more of a critique of the story as opposed to the the what the the film. The this film. might actually be a victim of the adaptation because there are there is a there is a well, somewhat wider range of scenes mm-hmm. throughout the book mm-hmm. and. Probably the scenes that would have had more of that emotional levity were the ones that were cut from the plot of this movie. Yeah, and I don't necessarily need like to be like a you know have comic sidekicks or, no. or some kind of crap like that. And and there is you know pathos to the movie, like in particular um, with uh, Rebecca Ferguson as the what's what's the mother's name? Jessica. Jessica. Jeez. Yeah, Jessica. I think is like one of the best characters for me in this. Cause it's just so fascinating to have this dynamic where often, you know, of course you expect, okay, you know, son has to try to live up to father's expectations. That's like, you know, foundational myth type of stuff, you know, mythology. I mean, also as a side note, it's, it's kind of weird. Like right now I'm teaching a class called Western literary traditions. So I'm like, 
knee deep in like Gilgamesh and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, um, but the to, for the mother character, that's even more. That makes it a lot more fascinating. The fact that she is from the 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 Benny Gesserit is that yeah. right? Yeah, and that so there's this whole other thing where okay, so you might say all right, well you're part of House Trees, but no, but you're my you're you but you're also your mother's son and you have these other expectations of you and that i think was what really made this story like really more involving for me if yeah. this movie had been 100% palace intrigue i would have like five starred it because there was so there was a lot of like really fascinating things that I think are kind of hinted at in this movie, but not fully explored. What? There's a lot of fascinating ideas kind of in the background of this movie. And I was, my, I wish we had gotten a bit more detail about some of the logistics of like managing these great houses or maybe a little bit more we know a tiny bit about like the history of these houses but i think again in the third act of this movie when the kind of palace intrigue element of the movie just kind of goes away that's where i'm kind of like eh you're just like Walking around you, the desert or flying you, you, around you, the desert, you mean and like, when who cares? It, you mean when you suddenly get like more sandworm action? <laughs> Corey, bow to your sand sandworm overlords. Christ. Um, I mean, Corey, this... I think you would have liked the book a lot better mm. because well, there's a lot more of that depth that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, because there's so the world building in this movie is. I think the author, or uh, not the author, I think the filmmaker did a good job of keeping the audience kind of in the loop without making it, like, too exposition-y. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like, I, there is a good deal of exposition, for sure. What I, I what I liked was how, at times, they delivered it in a couple, uh, in a couple of clever ways. Like, there are a couple of scenes where Paul is listening to, like, this recording kind of explaining about like some stuff involving sandworms and you know some of the you know the background involving the the Benny Gesserit I think and I, and I kind of uh, but but they didn't do it too much they did it just enough so that you understand that Paul is this is how Paul is getting his information I, I thought mean, that was the weakest bit of exposition. I mean, it was much more blatant where it was just like oh you're including this basically educational film as a way of, as a way of revealing information to us uh it's it is but i think that i kind of needed it was the, it. <laughs> it was the clumsiest way of doing it that might have been necessary but it certainly wasn't artful i i was fine with it i mean well it was better than having like a character like walk and talk or something like that and it it i don't know so yeah i would i'm hoping maybe even more palace intrigue in the second one, in part two, because... Well, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. <laughs> That's kind of the impression I well, was getting. Yeah. But, oh, I wanted to mention, too, um, in a small role, Charlotte Rampling was oh. spectacular. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
as kind of the head of this um, <laughs> order of mysterious witches. And earlier in the movie, Jack, when you said you loved how tactile this movie was, I thought of it too, because another thing I think this movie did well was as spectacular and otherworldly as it was, it always felt authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like, when yes. you're watching these people, they're in crazy costumes, crazy architecture, crazy yeah. visual effects, but it felt totally real. Yeah, it was grounded. This is where I'm going to do something that I've never done, and I'm going to talk about costuming. Where it's just, yeah, I feel like you must have done that before. Well, look through the archive. Um, <laughs> Maybe rarely you've done it. This is a thing where it's just like, I've seen clips of David Lynch's doing it looks awful. And I don't mean it looks awful as a movie. No, it looks you... awful as an image. And it's just like everything in this one was so grounded. You had elements of certain things in uniforms or in uh, robes and like the, the still suits that everybody wears in the desert. But it was all... But they had like stripped it down to like the minimum to where it's like this is the uniform of an official. This is the kind of hat they wear. This is what their knives look like. It's not crazy, like Corey said. Yeah. It's identifiable, and it doesn't stand out. They want to make it, like, immersive as possible without it, like... Yeah, without you being taken out of it by it seeming, you know, so otherworldly. And, and yet, even as otherworldly as it is, you recognize what these symbols mean. It's just like with the characters in a way. Sure. It's like you have, you know, even though this costume has its, you know, practical purpose, it also represents again who this person is, like the fact and I was thinking about that a lot with all those shots of the um of the Fremen who are very obviously meant to represent uh like when you see uh, Muslim uh, women and people like in the uh, covered up completely, people of the Middle East, people of the Middle East, yes, yes. Uh, but I mean, they're not always in the Middle East, but um, but I, of that I, I, I tend is, not to Islamic. See... I didn't want to say like fundamentalist because that's like not a good word. I don't think, but um, but you get what uh, like even but even that has more of a practical sense because they're in the desert. There's just sand coming up all over them uh, even the even fremen, down to the masks everything the fremen have is practical yeah even the, the masks flourishes they are have practical make them seem more desert like uh yeah at, you know as they are yeah i mean what i'll give the lynch film in terms of their costumes like there's a weird charm to how the the costumes look in it but you're you're laughing at me saying that. No, there is like I wouldn't say it's a weird charm. That <laughs> there is an f. There was an effort put into their into the costumes in Lynch's Dune. It's just a different like effect. Like it, it it's I, I don't know it, it. Again, I think it fits the 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 way the costumes are here. It fits the serious tone. I think also the costumes really fit with that sort of severe tone, where it's just like, yeah. there is nothing ostentatious because people don't act ostentatiously, <coughs> except for for Vladimir Harkonnen, who's just this yeah. huge, bloated and, mm -hmm. uh, tyrant, and who, that, who, who's so heavy that he needs mechanical help to lift himself off the ground. And, yeah, and that's the one thing I wanted to say that 
I might still slightly prefer in the Lynch film, and that's just a personal preference, because what if you ever watch a clip of Baron Harkonnen from the David Lynch film, that's probably the most unforgettable part of the movie. It's unforgettable already. <laughs> you've seen you've seen a clip of him yeah. in that. I think it's hilarious. I think it's so grotesque and I big. will give you that I will acknowledge that it's hilarious. Uh, but you think in a... I don't think it's preferable. <laughs> uh, well, no. Obviously, Stellan Skarsgård gives a much better performance than... Oh, what, I want to say, was it Freddie... Mercury. No, no, I'm afraid. No, there was another... It was like a very famous British actor who was playing the part, and I'm blanking on his name. I, I don't want to look it up right now, but like... It, but it, it that was... I, but I kind of, in, but I really enjoyed that in the Lynch film in a different way. Like, and I'm not saying it would have worked; it wouldn't have worked totally here. It just would have been interesting to have some type of, L, like, and I think that there, Baron Harkonnen does have that function in the movie, um, in this movie. Uh, I'm, but it's I'm just trying to think e- what I'm trying e- to even say a, here. Even when you're focusing on the Harkonnens, who are just like the worst people, it's just like every person in every shot is just like beautiful oh yeah it's just you know where it's just like you see him floating up in that long black trailing robe and you see the and you see um uh what's his first name dasmalchian dustin dasmalchian yeah Yeah, oh he he has a great look he 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 looks great and he he has again like there's so many people who just like have one or two scenes where it's just, where it's just like they give this performance and you just want to I want to see more of that. Dustin Dasmalchian has had like a great year of yeah, having yeah. like crazy looks <laughs> between he, this and the Suicide Squad. He's the crazy look guy. He does that really well. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but in this one, he's he's so he's really subdued. And yeah, but still like, but still his voice is just you it's know very menacing, distinct. And he looks great, and you know. But I guess this is more about the general, just good lookingness of 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 the film. It's so that, like, even the even when you go to this planet, that's like where the primary color is black. Yeah, it contrasts so well against the yellows and the oranges of Arrakis that it's just like it's it's almost soothing in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gotten off of costumes, but still, it's, uh, I, I I don't think we could praise this film enough for how it looks. Oh, it's so great! Yeah, the production I... design and the costuming are all, yeah. are and and the the visual artistry of it are are incredible. Yeah, and and also even just the little detail when I talked about the tactileness, t- tact. I don't know if that's a tactility? word. Tactility. Tactility. Thank you. That's probably it... not a word, but we'll take it. <laughs> we'll make it up. Um, the the spice. Yeah. The way that spice is depicted as this it looks kind of like, like rough sugar, yeah, that sort of that, that sort of brown sugar in the raw that you get sometimes at, at at overpriced coffee bars. Yeah, and it adds this unpredictable element because you're like, this could be anywhere. Yeah, and and you know, of course, they're on the planet it is where everywhere it is. But I mean, though, when they when it actually is affecting like uh, like Paul or yeah. some of the other. Characters. I also thought the set design. Um, helped kind of undergird what the movie was saying thematically because I think we've all mentioned scale. Like, the scale of this movie is epic. And you're constantly seeing the smallness of 
the like the people in this movie compared to the giant architecture around mm-hmm. them, the giant ships, the giant sandworms, great halls, and exactly. And when I when I was seeing this movie constantly reinforcing the smallness of these people relative to their environments, I thought of you know Ozymandias, sure, and. I really thought that, you know, one of the themes of this movie is even these great houses are exceedingly fragile because they're in this, like, constant competition with each other. So I feel like the grandness of the set design and how even, you know, our bold, charismatic characters look so small in the vastness of the world help kind of underline this whole idea of how power, how fragile their power is and how when they're in this like dog eat dog feudal competition, they really are all like Ozymandias. Arrakis is a metaphor for the, 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 the sort of conflict between, between these noble houses. Mm. Arrakis is a harsh place and you have to use your wits and you have to have experience and you have to, uh, and you have to do anything to survive. Yeah, and it, so and and it's basically the same with being a noble in this place. You know, you can't mess up. Yeah, I otherwise mean, it, you're yeah. you're dead in the sand. Yeah, you're dead in the sand, and then you have like a giant sandworm that will come and like kill you. Sure. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing is like, oh, the sandworms are just like. Like when they have the close-ups of when you of the insides of their mouths and like all the bristles. That's kind of that's kind of the the money shot really of the film where where Paul and his mother run away from the sandworm and they just make it it and you see the the maw of the it really made it really made me think of my like I, I these have to I think be like some it's like a kind of visual cue for me of like whales maybe. in a way yes i mean if you think about a sort of like baleen whale yeah they have these they have the, the, yeah things in their mouths and they're these big leviathans that they they swim around in sand these uh worms swim around <laughs> in sand rather than water mm-hmm. they're they're essentially sand whales yeah <laughs> but but they will kill you Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, you hate them, right? I hate them myself. And you can ride them, apparently. Yeah, yeah, they kind of leave that for uh, kind of late in the movie, but yeah. Can it's we a... move into spoilers? I guess. I guess, I mean, it's, yeah, I suppose there are spoilers, even though this is technically the first half of a two-part story, but yeah. Sure. Spoilers from this point onward, you have your spoiler warning. The spice is spoiled. Um, it's life and spoiled the reason i said at the beginning of the movie is i do feel like not having the emperor as a character is kind of a problem is i thought it was kind of bold and interesting that from the outset everyone knows how satrades is walking into a trap like i didn't expect that i didn't expect that everybody knows the harkonnens have helped set it up the benny jesserit know the Atreides know essentially what's waiting but for him. Since the, we know the Emperor's army, the name begins with an S. Sardwakar. Yeah. Sardwakar. Okay. So they help. 
They it helps jo- if you read it a bunch in a book. <laughs> uh, they join the Harkonnens with like a dual attack yeah. against the House of Atreides. So the Emperor is making his direct involvement in like the overthrow of the House of Atreides visible to the world. Mm. So it made me wonder why go through this rigmarole of like shipping them out to Arrakis, why don't you just attack them directly? Because they're strong on the... This starts on another planet They before they go to Arrakis. The, uh, the House of Atreides is secure on their previous planet. Mm-hmm. Like, they have all their military and all of their ships and all everything. In Arrak- On Arrakis, they are vulnerable because they're setting up... They're trying to get spice mining back up and running... They don't know the desert. They're from a planet full of seas and water, which is the exact opposite of Arrakis. Yeah, and that's, it's, a, that's an interesting point. Yeah, the it's whole a lot point more green. is to have them dedicated to this place that they can't control at all. And so they're vulnerable there. They're not vulnerable on their previous planet. And then I I guess I wanted like a clearer sense from the movie of how much power the Emperor himself has, what is the level of engagement that the Emperor has with the again, Great House? I mean, well, again, you're going to find the book well, a lot more rewarding. Well, well I think my, my basic sense was that the Emperor has, like, this overriding control of all of these various houses. Again, we don't see all, like, I, I don't know well, how I, many that, were, but there were a number of them, and I think we're basically led to believe the Emperor can basically bestow and change this power even though like the emperor obviously will have other motives to you know help the harkonnens right um, it, it's it's all essentially this this feudal system in a feudal system you as the king don't administer the land yourself you have lords to mm-hmm. do it but yeah, yeah that, and, that, well, and so that you know they do that and they they also will pledge their loyalty to you you know that's yeah. that's basically it well, it's all, well, also, too, I'm thinking, now to think back for a second to Star Wars, it's like, no, but in, like, the first movie, we also don't see the Emperor, but you still get the sense that... maybe once or twice. Yeah, the Emperor's mentioned once. Well, we can't, well, we know it's an, an imperial, you know, system, and that, you know, they're, they're flexing their might with this Death Star, you know, and destroying this planet, which they don't really have any reason to do... Um, I feel like, you know, but they do it anyway to just show, like, don't fuck with us. And maybe that's part of what the Emperor's doing. He's flexing his muscles to show, like, I, you know, I can give, I can give just as easily as I can take. So, yeah, but to me, for me, his complete absence was, like, a bit narratively frustrating. I'm not saying he needed to be a major character, Mm. but the fact that... We literally never see him, and I felt like mm. I didn't get enough information about precisely his level of control. See. I would have also liked to know how many great houses there were. Like, are there 10? Are there 50? Are there 500? I, this sounds mainly more like you want more. Yeah. I'm and... not criticizing you for it. No. It's just like... This movie made an impression on you, and you want more information. Yeah, like, I was thinking that in this world where, like, everything... You're frustrated because you can't get it. (laughs) In this world where everything is IP, um, I would totally watch, like, 
a spin-off TV well, series that's just filling in all these details. Well, well I'm and... sure, Corey, they're, they're, they're baking on, you know, they would love to do nothing more than to make this, like, a franchise. Right now, they're just kind of, I think, in the testing ground to see how many people can wrap their minds around just, like, these two houses being shown in a story like this. But yeah, I wanted more. And as I said, like for me, the stuff that worked really well about this movie was kind of, you know, the jockeying between House Atreides and House Harkonnen. Um, and once again, the, the like half an hour of the movie where um, Paul and Jessica are just like traveling around the desert was like total snoozeville for me. I, I mean, I was still engaged with that in a kind of like more in a uh uh like what in certain parts of like Lawrence of Arabia where you're watching just like a couple of characters going through the desert. You're just kind of well, wondering like how are they going to survive this? Especially given again, as you said, Andrew, they're not from this planet. How are they, you know, are, are they going to just survive by the skin of their teeth? Do they have some wherewithal to get through this aside from their, you know, Benny Gesserit, like, you know, uh, background? Well, part of the thing with Lawrence of Arabia is no matter, whenever they're crossing the desert, you know what their goal is. Mm -hmm. Lawrence of Arabia does a very good job of saying, we are going to this place to do this thing and to be there when we mm -hmm. need to be. This one is a little more nebulous. At the end, you know Paul and his mother are trying to escape, but you are never quite sure where they're going because we've never seen where they're going or we don't have it s described where they're going and what they're going to do when they get there. It's a yeah. little more nebulous. And that's mainly because, it's like, well, they're on the run. They don't have this planned out. I mean, in terms of plot, it's just like, uh, I, you know... Let's go that direction because our enemies are in that direction. Uh, see, I think for me, I didn't necessarily have a problem with when they're suddenly the two of them in the desert in of itself. I think the problem more is that by that point in the movie, the movie's been going on so long that it's like, it's starting to feel like it's, you know, okay, are we going to wrap this up soon? But you know, you got, we got to get to, you know, Paul having that uh, encounter with the, uh, the with the with Fremen and, and, the and Fremen, yeah. yeah and that big uh, you know fight he has um, and you know of course that t ties in with his visions of you know is he gonna die is he going to what what's his what's gonna be his uh, reaction to having to actually you know commit violence but the real uh, but that and that's the real problem where it's just like even if he yeah. even if Paul survives and he manages to meet this person and he gets through he still has seen this vision of the more distant future yeah where, i don't know how well you caught this but he talks about basically in the far future he will essentially be the leader of this massive holy war that oh yeah yeah no no i i know about that i i and know it, from yeah. that also from the the, the movie yeah and, the, and the, first, then, the first movie yeah and and so <clears throat> In a way, the ending is really good because not only has he reached that sort of <coughs> ambiguous goal of finding this woman in his vision, but he's also taken his first life, which, which, in sort of confirmation of his worst sort of visions, is the first of many millions. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, that that's that's true. Uh, that 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 I just part. Came up with that now. <laughs> um, I think that the maybe though for me, like that is a well, well executed scene. Um, it, uh, it I think it ends though on a note where okay, I know that there's still the far future, um, but it also just left it, it left me a little cold. I think that's really the major problem with this. It's it's the same problem that I had when Avengers Infinity War finished up. Mm. Where it's like, as much as I liked that movie, I knew it was only the first half of a bigger story. Yeah. The fortunate thing for Avengers and Infinity War is like, you know, and some people may dispute this, I think that it concluded quite well. And you have to use those two halves together to make a much better story. Uh, we know that this is the first half of a full story. And even mm-hmm. though it comes to a good technical and emotional end, mm-hmm. we know that there's more and that we really need the rest of that story to to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why need... I'm really hoping that, that that this movie is a big success because I... It is absolutely <laughs> bizarre that the studio went ahead with this plan of... All right, we're going to make this movie of Dune. Oh, this is just half the story? All right, we'll go make the first half. What about the second half? Eh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come but to it. But that's the thing. Like... When, when, when so often movies shoot back-to-back, like, you, a lot of times movies will shoot two sequels, like, together, which they actually did with Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. So I, I don't get I, like so that, I hope it works. I mean that worked because you know the Marvel films have been going on for ten years. They knew it was a very safe bet that Infinity War and Endgame were going to but, be big hits. I mean with this, it's just it's the first or movie. Lord of the Rings shot all three together. Well, that was a miracle. So, but it, you know, Dune is a bit more risky. Oh yeah, that we like Game of Thrones has set the stage. There's this craving for these big time adaptations so dune in theory is is a good payoff but people have to go see it yeah and and, but in the end despite the fact that filming one half of a story has its problems i'm really glad they did it that way because no no no, no, i am too because it shows that they took their time and they did the first half of that story it may just be the first half Mm. but they did it right yeah and it's a great it's a great adaptation and it works on its own on its own in its own right i got you and you don't have a three-hour film Uh, that's going to feel crowded anyway sure sure Corey. you are right that andrew you said like this did leave me wanting more i would say though i'm a little nervous about part two because thus far I'm just not as interested in the Fremens as I am in this idea of the noble houses, the emperor. Mm. And since the whole trajectory of this movie is like, we're leaving the noble houses behind and we're joining the Fremens. um, I really hope we get back to like palace intrigue at some point, but I kind of feel like we're moving away from that. No, they, they can't not have that because there's, there's, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot more to do with the Harkonnen. I I even remember from the David Lynch movies that like, well, if they follow, I mean, one thing we didn't talk about. One of the images everyone knows from this movie is Sting in the the cod piece from uh, yes. the, uh, from Dune. 
And um, oh, I kind of, I kind of wish that Sting would have done a cameo. <laughs> well, he could always come back for part two. I Maybe. guess it's just the Fremen almost seem like normal, whereas the Nobles are so like bizarre. I honestly don't recall if the Emperor was in the Lynch film now, like because he was the, he was played by Jose Ferrer. Oh, that was him. Oh, right. The thing is, there's like there's a whole middle section of Dune that I just there's a like I he think, hasn't read the book, people. No, and like the thing is, there's the problem. The, the there's a lot of cool imagery and a lot of you know really lame out imagery. there. Well, what? There's a lot of lame in imagery too. No, but there's a lot of things where you David can tell. David Lynch's Dune has not aged. It's aged like bread. <laughs> I'm gonna call it right now. I'm gonna say that this dune. Well, also that tried to tell the whole story in a two-hour, seventeen-minute movie. So, yeah. but but what, like that? What the problem there was? They were trying. They were adapting the book in such a way that, like, I still haven't seen exactly like since. Where, like, they would have, like, a character say a lot of dialogue, and then you hear their narration and, like, voiceover. Yeah, that's a crappy way to adapt the book. <laughs> yeah, this... There's uh... a lot of inner monologue in... Well, not inner monologue, but there's a lot of, sort of, the inner thoughts of people I... in the book. And that works for a book. It I doesn't that... work for a movie. I think that was what made it a little bit tough for me when I was trying to get into the book, were some of the inner monologue things. Mm. Maybe, again, maybe I should try it again now that I've seen this movie and seen how this story is, Let your wife is coherent. It. It's got a lot of stuff for her. <laughs> um, uh, and also, you've read a lot of books like this, too. A lot of, like, book series and things. But, like, <laughs> but no, but the... But, yeah, but that was one of the things is that this movie, I think, also just managed to, at times, convey certain dynamics of a relationship very succinctly, mm. and yet in a very compelling way, like when early on in the movie, you have like this scene at like the kitchen table or whatever between Paul and Jessica. And they have this little interaction of, of involving like, uh, like water or something. And you kind of, so you realize, Oh, they can kind of communicate with each other with the, you know, in their minds. And yet they don't need to explain that. They just show it. And right. it's done with, like, one of them is saying, like, not saying something, but there's a subtitle. Like, that was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you didn't have to stop and suddenly have inner monologue. A lot of times with the subtitles, they were com they were communicating with hand gestures. That too, yeah. That was a clever thing to, to put in there from the book that was quite good. I mean, and, and it's so simple, in fact, that it's just like, why hasn't anyone done this before? Yeah. 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 And that's why, like, even though I could say, I could try, I could possibly criticize that the characters aren't necessarily, as we, as we mentioned earlier, all that deep. I think, again, the, the actors make them very vivid so yes. that they can carry, like, you know, emotionally the weight of a scene and you, and you get it, like, pretty, you know, s simply. And that way, then also the movie can keep going on. And even though, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot on the screen, I wasn't that bored watching it. I thought I was. My one worry watching this is like, oh, what if it's like dull? 
and it wasn't really that dull. I was always the word I'm um, I'm going to say ultimately is fascinated. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Like it's definitely something that's much more like intellectually engaging than emotionally engaging. And there are very few movies nowadays that are like that. Yeah, yeah but I was. I was fascinated, and I just, I just wanted to kind of walk around in this world and like all the little like rituals and like folk beliefs. They were very interesting to me. Yeah, it ha- There were one of my favorite scenes is the is the film on the uh, not the the <laughs> scene on the Sardaukar planet where the, yeah. the troops are getting ready, and it's just. It's a brief conversation between two characters, but in but it's in this setting of all of these soldiers are sitting at some sort of religious ceremony. Right. They're getting marks on their heads. There's for some reason there are people hanging upside down, bleeding. The, 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 there's like somebody <laughs> making it an there's somebody someone like chanting. Yeah, the, the chanting was what stuck out to me in that. It's like it's yeah. There's huh. so much going on in that scene, <clears throat> and it's probably going to be a scene that I'm going to like watch over and over again when this film like comes out on DVD and people rip it to yeah. YouTube. Yeah, but it's just like, but uh, there there are so many neat little details in that scene that it's just that I get that same feeling. Like there are moments when I just want to pause and just like look yeah. over that whole thing. That's, yeah, that's and why I feel like this material. I think it'd be very well suited to a TV show, personally. It was. Like, when you said yeah. Game of Thrones... No, no, I'm, that's a different thing. No, yeah, yeah, on the Sci-Fi channel, this was actually done as a TV... No, wasn't it a miniseries? A miniseries, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, did they? I think they adapted this and Children of Dune. Yes. I never yeah. even heard of that. Was yeah, well, that... they apparently weren't very good. Well, differing opinions. I, I, I know they. there are some Some people fans. really hold them up. Some people kind of dismiss it. Uh, you have to see it for yourself to make your, your mind. I haven't seen it either. But I hear different things. But yeah, like when I was watching this, I liked the movie. I recommend the movie. But there was, uh, there was, I think, like two or three points in the movie where I was like, and I know like the director would like beat me up for saying this because I've read interviews with him. But I was watching, I'm like, this feels like a story that might be better suited to television. Mm. Now, I know those, like, really grand visuals wouldn't play as well no. at home. So, visually, I think it's made for the movies. Yeah. But I think there's so much mm-hmm. going on in terms of the mm. world building that you can't really unpack in just yeah. even two movies. So... I can't believe I'm saying this, but I hope the, like, soulless IP engine well, is able ne- to generate a TV series that comes out of well, this. Well, you never know. I mean, what, what, there's always time, you know, again, we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, if Villeneuve will let someone else take the reins in TV for this. Uh, the other thing I didn't mention, too, was that the, I thought the action, when it happened, I thought was also, you know, fun to watch in some moments. Yes. Especially just Jason Momoa can, like, tear up a room, like, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> In, like, a shallow way, I was like, ooh, Jason Momoa's gonna fight. It's <laughs> like, he has this, like, great charisma. I, it's like him in this and him in Aquaman. It's like, he's fun to watch. He is a good, he's a good action star who can do more than action. Yeah, he, he can deliver, he can deliver on the action, but then he can also, 
you you get right away why hit why Paul and what's his Duncan yeah why him and Duncan really get along and yeah. that he's like he looks up to him so much yeah yeah and he uh, maybe we should wrap it we up we got to talk yeah. about Star Wars okay. well well that's I wanted to mention that too when we were talking just a moment ago about you know you want to know it's like all these little details that I mean that's one of the things that made like. <laughs> the first, you know, few Star Wars movies. So, like, I think that was well. One of the things was that it's like George Lucas always put in like these little details of like, hmm, I want to know more about what's going on this planet. Like, what's with all these characters in this cantina? Like, what? What? Wait, what's going on with all this like moisture farming? Like, what? What is all this? And again, I think he simplified it. That's. I think why Star what what he did was he took a lot of the sort of world building kind of conceptual thing of Frank Herbert, but then he like threw in like a whole bunch of other stuff in the pot too. So it's not just Dune, but it's but there. Do I make sense with that? Yes. Uh, the Corey set, hit it on the head when she said this is intellectually stimulating. Star Wars is much more emotionally stimulating. I mean, there are two different emphases, but it's just like you see, I mean, George Lucas has admitted that he took a lot of ideas from Dune. Yeah. Uh, he, he th ideas like, and minor ideas like spice and things like mind control and the force uh, are or, basically from this. Or even like how the, the Sarlacc is like a, kind of like a sandworm. Desert worm. planets. Desert planets. Like, I mean, ca two characters kind of off by themselves in the middle of a desert right. without anywhere, you know, they're not sure where they're going to go, you know, uh, or one has one idea and one has another, uh, you know, I'm going to go this way. You're going to go that way. I consider yeah. Dune to be part of a sort of unbroken line of like American science fantasy. You oh, yeah. know, I'm a big fan of Flash Gordon. Yes. And I feel like, from Flash Gordon to Star Wars, Dune is a stopping point. Mm -hmm. Where you have a lot of the sword play, you have a lot of the fantasy, mm -hmm. you have the spaceships. Yeah. You have, you know, you know, again, like there is a Flash Gordon thing where he goes across a desert planet and just fights yeah. in one on one combat and, and gladiators and everything. And also, well, Frank Herbert also I think I've read it, it, he also took a lot of stuff from <laughs> Middle Eastern uh mythology as well I'm not, but i'm not talking about mythology i'm talking about the american science fiction okay and, or, and the sort of space fantasies that we've made up in the 20th century mm. and i feel and dune fits in there really nicely oh it does Absolutely. and you know and uh herbert like, gives it a lot more of that intellectual flair that makes it work so well and what still helps it to hold up unlike a lot of flash gordon today no but you know i Th this thing is part of that line, which which I really admire. You know, Dune is this thing where it's like if you wonder where like a lot of your, if you're like a Star Wars fan or if you're a Warhammer 40k fan or mm. if you're just like, uh, uh, if you want to know where all these ideas come from, it's like it's one of those things you have to visit. Yeah, and it, I'm glad George Lucas stole so many ideas from this. Well, I'm yeah. sure it probably got more people. Maybe to pick up Dune, and of course the ultimate trivia, you know, David Lynch was off for Return of the Jedi and turned it down to make Dune. 
which is well, Dune the, and and I think Dune was made into a film because of the success of Star Wars. Yes, and it, it was it was not made by Alejandro Jodorowsky. That's another which is story. a whole other podcast altogether. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's a. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm glad. But that's again a, a reason that I'm glad that this movie exists now, and I hope that it becomes much more successful. Me too. Uh, but there were no Jawas to say Wutini! Wutini! <laughs> no, no, no Jawas. I mean, let's. Uh, I was expect. I've actually leaned over to Andrew at some point. It's like, are we gonna get a Tuscan Raider? Yeah. <laughs> the, the Tuscan Raiders, in a sense, are almost like the Fremen. Yeah. Exactly. They're like holding up their sticks and yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, my final thought is uh, yeah, go see this movie. And if you can get to a theater and see it safely, then definitely see it on a big screen. Uh, I almost now wish maybe in retrospect I'd see it in IMAX. That probably would have made it even more scalier. But well, maybe you have money to burn, Jack. <laughs> That's but what. I am on a budget. I, well, you I are a humble man. Indeed. You're a humble man. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. It's not like I wouldn't put my like favorite of the year list. Like I still think, in terms of epic fantasy movies, The Green Knight still does it a little bit better for me. But Dune's up there. Yeah, and Green Knight's a whole other conversation. Sure. Well, yeah, because Green Knight has that emotional wallop at the end, sure. in addition to the thought exercises. Sure, so, yeah, sure. I thought this was a very well-made movie from a technical perspective, well-acted, not enough palace intrigue, but still good and still worth seeing. Yeah. I, I really hope, I really enjoyed this movie, and I think it looks great. Uh, I really hope that the people who are in charge of Star Wars just take a few notes from this. Yes. Because the like originality is not something that I would use readily with this since it's something that's been around for years and years. And it has been stolen from all the it's, time. But it's just like... The, there was a lot in this movie that made me sad that I dislike Star Wars so much now. Uh, and it's just like, I hope that like someone could just see like maybe like... Okay, this is not about Dune. No, <laughs> no, but but you can't complicated help it because... story. Sure. Yeah, but but you this can't help is something it. that feels so fresh now. It's reinvigorating. Which deserves it's yeah, it's reinvigorating. I think, and I hope that, and that's why I hope to God that they they make that second movie yeah. because it's it's uh, it, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Yeah. So if you guys have uh, seen the movie or read the book or you know, read any of the other books or want to complain about Alejandro Jaworski, you can always email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com or uh, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the works. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and uh, we'll come back soon with more movie talk. I'm sure we'll have something new that's in theaters or something on our minds. And uh, love to share that with you. Until next time, though, I am Jack. I am Trash Panda Corey. I'm Andrew. And the wages of cinema is spice. Sandy Hugs. Sandy Hugs. Yeah. Sa Sandy Hugs. <laughs> Good night, guys. <laughs>